Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. My wife Katie and I celebrated nine years of marriage this week. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, We've gotten better at a lot of things since year one, uh, but one of them that we probably still struggle with on the same level at year nine is something that every single one of you struggle with, and there's this meme that'll help tell this. Um, When it comes time to figure out where we want to go eat, have you seen this meme before? I I don't know. I don't know where I want to go. It's not that simple. I feel like Katie and I race to figure out who can say the words, you decide, first when it comes to going out to eat, because the last thing I want to do is be faced with this decision, make the wrong decision that's not going to make her happy, same for her, and then you have all these decisions, and when you're the one making the decision, you have freedom, which is nice because you've got influence, but isn't it true that sometimes when you have freedom, it feels more like an enemy than a friend when it comes to making decisions? Now, picking where we go out to eat is a decision that has little consequence. But in our life, there's a lot of bigger decisions that have greater consequences. And one of them that cripples me even worse than anything like that is when I'm faced with a decision that deals with the direction of my future. And maybe this is a a thing in your life that seems to cripple you as well. And I know in my life, I'm always looking for not only like what is going to be the best decision I can make, but what about what God would have to say about this decision. What direction does he want me to go in? And as believers, we refer to this as God's will. We're trying to figure out with making decisions for our future, what is God's will for our life? I want to look at a verse in Ephesians today written by the Apostle Paul. It says Ephesians, it's Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, and don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I love this verse. I love the clarity from it, but if I'm being honest, it also drives a bunch of questions in me. Understand what the Lord wants me to do. That's that's what I would love to do. I would love to understand what the Lord wants me to do. But so often when I'm faced with decisions, that's the big question that I can't seem to figure out is what does the Lord want me to do? Like, God, what do you want me to do? And I wrestle with this verse. I'm like, well, don't act like a fool. Well, I feel more like a fool often, more often than not. And what about all the decisions that I made that I know probably weren't in the best direction that would be in God's will? Can I reverse those? Can God reverse those? And and where does this go in the future? What does God want me to do? It's not just a question I wrestle with. As a pastor, Many of you reach out for prayer. I'll get coffee with many of you from time to time. This is the most common reason that you will reach out. This is the most common question that I face as a pastor is someone wrestling with some aspect of their future. And it seems like when we turn to the Bible, it can be frustratingly clear about mundane things that have absolutely nothing to do with our situation, right? But then it feels like it's extremely vague about the things that we seem to obsess over, which job we should take, 
which town we should live in, which house we should buy. Is, it, is, is he or she right for me? And how long should we date until we make this thing official and, and get married? And what about our kids? Should they be in this school? Should we move to get them in this district? Should we pull them out of public school and do the private school thing or homeschool? And now we're talking about decisions that affect other people. And not to freak you out or blow your mind, but have you ever just sat and thought about the domino effect of the decisions in your life, both small and great? And you can just see domino after domino that has fallen due to these decisions. It makes me think of this quote by C.S. Lewis. My buddy Chris sent this to me this week. It says, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why little decisions you and I make have such infinite importance. It's overwhelming. And if you're like me, I'll, I'll turn to other trusted people to get help when I'm making decisions. And that can be helpful, but it can also be more confusing. Because I love my mom so much. But if I followed her advice exactly the way that she would say God's will for my life is, Katie and I would have approximately 15 kids by now. <laughs> Every time we talk. So God told me y'all are praying about having another one. Got to go, Mom. Thanks. <laughs> it feels like with these decisions, we search through his word, and, and there's times where it feels like just his word doesn't have the answers we need. And we're in this series on prayer, and especially when it comes to big decisions, it can feel like prayer is stale because it can feel like we're not, we're not really hearing from God. And I just, I just want to say something that I need to be reminded of in my life. Just because we're not hearing God does not mean that he's not concerned or that he's not talking. In fact, as obsessed as you are about the decisions that affect your future, I can promise you this truth right out of the gate. God is more concerned with your direction than you are. God is more concerned with your direction than you are. But that begs the question again, what does God want me to do? I believe he's answering some different questions. And so before we dive in to the points today, do you mind if I just pray for us? Would you join me in praying? God, we love you so much. We thank you for this series on prayer. Lord, we wanna know how to hear you clearly about direction in our decisions and in our life. I pray that you'd speak to each of us. Every single person in this room is either facing a decision right now or they've got one coming in the future. So God, I just pray that you'd give us principles and tools that will help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, when it comes to what God wants us to do, number one is this, who you are is more important than where you are. Who you are is more important than where you are. That verse I read a moment ago from Ephesians, understanding what the Lord wants you to do, was written by the Apostle Paul. And I want to give some credibility to this apostle real quick. Paul is someone who changed the entire course and direction of his life after he met Jesus. He was someone, someone who was willing to go wherever and do whatever it was that God would call him to do. In fact, to add even more credibility, when he wrote this book, he was in prison at the time, which is not exactly 
what we would pray when we're thinking into our future. And I don't think it's what Paul prayed in hopes for his future. God, would you just land me in prison so I can make the maximum amount of impact? No, that, that's not the case. Instead, he took life's circumstances and he still operated because he focused in his life on who God was making him into becoming rather than where he was headed or the opportunities that were there. Because Paul knew that the future wasn't just subject to change, it was likely to change. And in fact, a lot of the New Testament is Paul's writings to other churches, to groups of people, and to individuals. And he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the things we obsess over, like we're talking about these future big decisions. He spends most of his time speaking to character in an individual, speaking to who you're becoming. I want to look at some of his writings in chapter 4 of Ephesians says this, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. This is who you are, not where you're headed, who you are. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. This is all stuff that is talking to who you are becoming. I really feel like we get this progression backwards and wrong, especially in America. I've got an illustration that's coming out right now. Give it up for my friend Drew. Bring this out. <laughs> Thanks, man. So Paul's focused on who we are. I really think that we, we have our priorities a little bit backwards. Our whole life, from the time we're born, you could look at the school system and the trajectory, is we are wrestling with this question of, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to do when I grow up? Where am I going to land in my career after school? What am I studying in college? How do I, how do I get the resume right? Because I got to figure out, like, what I'm going to do, right? And some of us, we, we come to this conclusion. Some of us just get grandfathered into a career or a job based on our family. Some of us pave a new path based on something that we're passionate about. Some of us land in something that we're good at. Some of us land in a particular job because of how much money we make. But at some point in our life, after we've wrestled this down, we, pro we progress into wrestling with our calling. This is where we wrestle with, wait a minute, am I doing something that actually matters? What is the purpose of my life? Everyone wrestles with this at some point. This is identity type stuff, but purpose type stuff. And when we get here, we sometimes are faced with a crossroads because we start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not sure that I'm doing the, the career that matches what I feel called to do. And you'll see this wrestling of maybe I need to change careers. And, and we stay right here in this pattern and it feels like almost a separate compartment or a later thought is who we're becoming, our character. We wrestle over here and we make this a separate side. And when that happens, life starts to get out of whack. I heard a quote by Gordon Dahl that said this about what happens when our life gets out of priorities. He said that most people worship at their work, they work at their play, and they play at their worship. <laughs> I'm gonna say that again. Most people worship at their work, 
They work at their play, and they play at their worship. Things get out of whack. Now, this isn't the truth, this isn't the truth for everyone. In fact, I would say that this next generation of workforce has flipped this formula. The first question that the next generation of workforce is really asking is, like, what can I do that's going to make the most impact or the most difference, the biggest difference possible? You're seeing employees, organizations, businesses really model themselves around making a difference because they're, they're answering this, this purpose question that's there, and then that's answering the career. And again, this is better than, than before, but... It's very possible to land in a calling and a career that can't be sustained because a calling and a career is only as strong as the character at the foundation. Your calling and career is only as strong as who you are at the base. And this is why Paul gives a better formula where he focuses on who you are first. Then there's calling and then there is career. And that's why the book of Ephesus, it's a letter, um, can have an impact for over 2,000 years while it was written in prison because it didn't have to do with career. It had to do with who Paul was becoming. And so he was able to operate in his calling no matter the circumstances. In fact, he said this in Ephesians 4, 1. He said, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to lead a life, who you are, worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Career is an afterthought or an aftermath in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God flips things upside down. He doesn't just give practical examples of how to become someone that God's created you to be. He gives you someone to follow as well. In Ephesians 5, it says to imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Who you are is more important than where you are. We're still wrestling with this God, what do you want me to do, though? How, how, do, I, how do I address this? And, and again, sometimes it feels like God's silent. I want to encourage you today. I think that we sometimes confuse God's silence for apathy. And God is not apathetic about this situation in our life. It's usually that he's addressing a different question. When we're wrestling, God, where do you want me to go? Or what, do you, like, what career do you want me in? Or what, what house do you want me in? Maybe, God, like, should, we, should we sell the house right now? The market's hot. Should we move to this house? And I feel like God's probably sitting there saying, Kevin, I just want you to focus on being a present dad wherever you live or whatever house you're in. When we're wrestling, God, what do we do with our kids? Like, do, what, what do we do about the school system right now? Or where do we want to place our kids or raise our kids in, in this setting? And, and God's saying, look, Kevin, I, I, I want you and Katie to teach your kids the truth about me through your words and through your actions. It's not that God doesn't care about those things. It's that they're less important. And sometimes God gives us freedom to choose which, again, can feel crippling, but God's addressing a different issue because once he gives us direction, point two really matters. How you get there is more important than when you get there. How you get there is more important 
than when you get there. Katie and I will travel to Nashville a couple times a year to visit uh, my family. And we've really mapped out by this point three solid different routes that we take. But how we determine which route we take has everything to do with what's going to get us there the fastest. So we have a list of questions. What time are we going to be passing through Atlanta? Because there's traffic in Atlanta 23 hours of the day, okay? So we got to figure out, okay, what, what time's that going to happen? Then we got to look at the weather because if we go up through Dahlonega and up through the mountain, if it's, if it's raining real hard, that's, that's, that's a miserable drive. We go super slow. That's going to take forever. Sometimes we have one that pops us up east of Chattanooga, so we're wondering about the construction status in Chattanooga. And just here's the reality. No matter which route we choose, we always choose the wrong route. <laughs> I feel like we're always in it. We hit traffic or, or the weather hits, and we're like, we should have gone through Atlanta. I knew it. I knew we should have gone through Atlanta. We spend so much time figuring out which route we're going to take because really, the route that we're taking is all just a means to get us to the destination. That's all on our mind. That's on our mind. Like, we want to get there a certain time. We've got to get there quickly so the girls can get to bed, and we don't know how they're going to sleep on the way. And... But the reality is we can make decisions that have greater consequences along the journey. When circumstances change, when we hit traffic, I can let my anger get the best of me, and I can have a short temper with my wife and with my kids, and I can very dramatically change the environment and kind of suffocate the joy of the trip. And even if we got there 30 minutes earlier, who we were when we got there was greatly affected by some of those decisions. Or I can try to cut corners or speed or do things and put my family in danger. Or I can do one of my like, worst habits, just this is confession. I love getting the gas tank as far past empty as possible. <laughs> Anybody else with me that does this? Like, I just, I just got to know. I got to know. Now, I've never run out of gas with my girls in the car, okay? And I say with my girls in the car for a reason. But I've never had that happen yet. But that's a decision that can have consequence. And it, it's really going to affect when we get there. But it's also going to affect... Our, our travel. The route we choose, it's got little consequence. But how we live and act, the decisions we make along the way, the little decisions, they have a greater impact and a greater consequence over time. This is true in our lives. That's why Paul, after talking about living a life worthy of the calling, he continued in Ephesians 4, Therefore, I, prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to leave a, lead a life worthy of your calling. You've been called by God. Always be humble. No matter the circumstances, always be humble and gentle. Be patient. Again, this is speaking to character here. Be patient. When you get there is less important than how you get there. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Patience is the hardest part. In the Old Testament, there was a leader that learned this lesson the hard way, King Saul. There was a time where King Saul, you can read this in 1 Samuel, he was feeling pressure from an enemy. So it was testing his leadership. It was testing the Israelite army. 
And the assignment was to wait seven days for the man of God, who was Samuel at the time, this was a priest, to come. And Samuel would come and make a sacrifice, and this would kind of ready the army spiritually. But the individual that was supposed to make the sacrifice was the priest. That was the way that God had set it. So this was an opportunity for King Saul to trust and to wait. Well, day seven hits, and Samuel's not there. And King Saul, under the pressure, wanted to make sure that he was, he was ready on time. So he just took matters into his own hands. He disobeyed God, which is sin, and he chose to make the sacrifice on his own. When Samuel arrived, it was like, oh no, oh no. And at this moment... King Saul lost the favor of God on his leadership as a king, and the legacy for his family in the kingship was greatly affected. And this was a time where God showed us in the Old Testament and through this story that he cares way more about how we get there than when we get there. He's building who we are to trust in who he is. How we get there is more important than when we get there. Point three. Right now is your most important decision. Right now is your most important decision. I want to go back to kind of our anchor verse today, Ephesians 5. Paul said to make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity. I think there's a couple of types of people that Paul is referencing in this verse when he says make the most of every opportunity i think he's addressing people who are thinking about the later opportunity so paul doesn't say make the most of the big opportunity he doesn't say make, make the most of the future opportunity but how much do we sit and worry and obsess over that opportunity out there the big questions we've been talking about job relationship where we're going to live we wrestle with later, and when that happens, we miss what's right in front of us, this right now opportunity. So others of us, it may not even be the big opportunity. We're just kind of thinking out, like you're, you're trying to figure out what lunch is today. Or you're, you're checking the weather app to see if it's still going to be good to get out on the lake later. Your mind has, has moved on to the later opportunity, and when we're doing that, we're missing the opportunity that's right in front of us. I heard this um, this said uh, this week, I thought this was really good. The only time that we can be certain of the will of God for our decisions in our life is in the past because we can kind of see how that's played out. Maybe it even didn't make sense all, all the way, but we can see that. And the opportunity that's sitting right in front of us. Because when it comes to the future, the only thing that's guaranteed to happen is whatever you have planned is going to change. <laughs> It's going to evolve. There's going to be things that, that you can't control. But the opportunity that's right in front of you exists for you to be able to make a decision inside of the will of God. Paul says to make the most of every opportunity. Others that I think Paul is addressing when he says don't act thoughtlessly, there's many of us that get into a season in our life where we've settled in. We, we already passed the big markers of these big decisions. We, we're settled into our career. We're pretty happy with what we're doing. We've got the house, the family, or wh whatever, whatever your aspirations are, even for those that are single. Maybe, 
Maybe you landed in, in, in the town you wanted to live in. You've got the friend group that you've desired and you're settled in. And when this happens, we can kind of step into familiarity and that can cause us to kind of check out or, or grow complacent or kind of thoughtlessly miss the opportunities that are right in front of us. Let me give, give an example this way. So again, driving to Nashville to see family, I've made the trip so many times now that I know, I know how to get there. I don't, I don't have to flip on GPS anymore to guide me, to tell me where to go. Well, when you, when you approach Chattanooga, um, you're, you're on 75 North, and you're, you're, you're supposed to get off to 24 West, which will take you up to Nashville, and that kind of hangs to the left. And if you stay to the right, you're going to go I-75 North, and that'll take you up to Knoxville, opposite direction, okay? Um, it's, just, it's just always split right nicely down the middle. Well, they've done construction, and it's changed. Now, in order to get on 24, you've got to hang a right on the ramp, and it kind of goes up and over the interstate and up 24. Well, with, um, with no GPS on, I'm not looking for this, and I'm just mindlessly driving. I know always stay, you know, over to the left lane, and I just scoot right through Chattanooga going up 75 north, and it didn't hit me until I saw signs for Cleveland, Tennessee, which was 20 minutes up 75 north. I mean, how many of you, let me just ask this, how many of you have driven somewhere, gotten out of your car, and been like, I don't even remember that drive? <laughs> I don't even know, like, that is scary how much we do that. This is what happened. I'm just mindlessly driving. It's interstate. I, I, I'm not noticing that things have changed or are different, and I'm seeing, like, mile marker 20, exit 20. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is 20 minutes. This is a 40-minute mistake that I've got to turn around and go back. This is exactly what we do so many times in our life. And Jesus actually gave us an example of this in the Gospels with the disciples. The time when they fell asleep, when they were supposed to be alert. I want to look at Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour. Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And then Jesus left them again. He prayed the same prayer. And by the way, this is, a, this is like the final hour right before Jesus is about to be arrested. This is when Jesus is praying a very vulnerable prayer. He's asking that God would, would remove this cup of suffering that he was about to step into and endure on the cross. And, and this is where Jesus said, like, not my will, but your will be done. This is, this is an intense hour, and he's looking for his circle, the dudes that are closest to him, to be present and ready and praying, okay? This is what's going on. Then Jesus left them again. He prayed the same prayers before, and when he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't know what to say. And when he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. <laughs> Have your rest, but know the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is where we're reading scripture. We're looking at the disciples like, dude, you had one job. You had one job. You're the dudes that are closest to him. But they had become so familiar with Jesus' sovereignty and his power that they thought, I'm, I'm not necessary in this moment. 
This happens to us all the time. We go to sleep in our relationship and we wake up to find that we're further from our spouse than we realized. That there's issues there that we didn't even realize were building and building and building. Or we go to sleep financially to awake to a pile of poor decisions and debt that now we've got to crawl back out of. Or we go to sleep physically to awake to a diagnosis or a situation where our health has really gotten out of control and we've, we've got to turn around. We go to sleep emotionally and we start to numb out and veg out and we awaken to an addiction or to years that have been thrown away. This happens all the time and that's just like a list of some of the things that we, we can control. There's all the things that wake us up that we can't even control. It's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to, to never stop praying, to not lose our connection. And it's why he said in Ephesians 5, right before understanding what the Lord wants us to do, he quoted the prophet Isaiah. He said, for the light makes everything visible. This is why, is it is, why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. For some of us today, there is an invitation to wake up. An invitation. An invitation that, that maybe you've gone to sleep spiritually or you've gone to sleep in some areas in your life. And Jesus is here to gently wake you up and say, hey, the hour's come. And we can wake up and and, and, and start to, to say, okay, God, I kind of checked out and I want to check back in. I want to turn the GPS back on in my life and I want to get connected with you again. For others, man, you are, you are weighed down by some decisions right now and I just, I just want to pray over you in a moment that, that you would feel relief that those decisions are way less important than, than we've made them, than the enemy's trying to make them in your life. That who you are is way more important than where you are or what you're gonna do. And that how you're going about getting there is way more important than when you arrive or when you hit that goal or when you hit that achievement or when you hit that calling. And that right now you have an incredible opportunity to give God glory and walk within his will. Walk in the direction that he would have you walk in. If I could sum up this whole message in just one sentence, and really it could sum up this series in one sentence, I would say this, that God is more concerned with your connection than he is with your direction. He is absolutely concerned with what direction you are headed, but he's more concerned about being connected with you than he is about where you're headed. And for some of you today, that connection needs to begin. Some of you have felt a stirring from God for a long time. The Bible tells us the only way you're gonna be able to connect with God is by declaring Jesus as Lord. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. You've been feeling this stirring for a long time, but you've put it off and you've put it off. I want to encourage you right now is your opportunity to connect with him. 
You could ask Jesus to save you in this moment and instantly find connection with the Father. And I want to invite you and encourage you and, and call you to this right now. You could pray. Let's pray right now. You could just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I have felt you calling. I know that I need you. I know that I'm wrestling with big decisions in my future that are way less, support, less important. So Jesus, today I just stop thinking about all that and I say, save me right now. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I believe that you are who you say, that you lived a perfect life and took my punishment on the cross. And so today, I commit my life to following you. Through the power of your resurrection, give me new life today. Amen. And God, I pray for the rest of us in this room today. Lord, where the freedom to decide has felt like an enemy instead of a friend, I just pray that you would be the friend that draws near in this season, that people would walk out of here feeling ease, that God, you're with them in their decisions, but you want to work on their character. But that process is so much sweeter, so much sweeter, and it can withstand any circumstance later in our career or in our calling. And God, for those that are waking up spiritually today, I just pray that you give them a fresh fire, as we've sang, a fresh fire for you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.